Hello, this is the second of a two-part season finale of season four of My Favourite Game. If you want to go back and listen to the first part of this two-part finale, then check out myfavouritegame.net for all the details. Here is the second part of our season finale. Catherine Woolley on Chemu. Shenmue um, had a day and night cycle. Like it was the first of its kind, at least in a game. Like, how did you find that? <laughs> I, well, I suppose it, it was kind of the first of its kind. Well, certainly for a big title like Shenmue, I don't know. Yeah, it's a big title. Like, I'm trying to think if um, I think Harvest Moon on the SNES might have had a night cycle. But yeah, like for the kind of big world that it is, it was the first kind of true one. Especially because you had, you know, like a wristwatch on your watch that you could like bring up to look at the time especially if you had to meet someone at a certain time um i thought it worked it worked well in the it it gave you limits on what you could do so you couldn't waste your day if you needed to make sure to do something in that day you had to be like okay i need to walk to here and then you realize how long it would take to walk in shenmu to get from like your house to the city um which I'm sure, of course, you know, it was over-exaggerated with how quickly time went. Um, and it, it worked so well, except for if I was walking back home and it was getting so late that I think, I can't remember what time it was that, that Ryu would be like, I need to get home now. I don't know if it would be like midnight or 11 or maybe 1 a.m., somewhere in that kind of area. And then it would kind of show a loading screen and take you back to your bedroom but it would then mean he'd wake up late and it would also mean you'd get home even later and like his sleep patterns would almost in a way get messed up um so i liked it for the kind of time limiting factor to try and hone you into what you were doing but it also became frustrating because i'd be like oh but i want to do this all day and then you don't get to do that because oh the day's over now and i have to get home and i have to go to sleep and do my training as i sleep and then wake up and then do the next day over and over again. I think with how long it would take you to walk somewhere, sometimes you'd almost spend half the day getting to a location, mm. which maybe if they, they changed the balance of how, how long it took or how quickly time passed, it might have changed it up quite a bit. But even with that said, I, th- I think it worked really well in the game. Um, I think it's it's probably the first game where I really kind of played with a, a proper kind of night cycle uh, or day night cycle mm. um, and then it was just nice because you know if you woke up early in the morning it would feel like an early part of the morning and the same thing with night time so like if you were walking around in the city there wouldn't be that many people around during the day in the early hours whereas when it came to night time you'd have all your drunk businessmen walking around 
um, and other people going to parties and stuff like that. So I think it, it was good that the day-night cycle wasn't just there to to limit you. It was there to add a difference to the world that was then reflected back with everything. Because, you know, shops shut at certain times. Buses only run at certain times. Uh, people won't be around until, you know, the early hours of the morning. I think it, it helped add that that extra grounding for it being a, a Japan simulator. <laughs> um, I was going to say as well, like, up front, I'll admit, like, when when reading about the day and night cycle again on Shenmue, like, the first thought that came into my head was Animal Crossing. And I'll say Animal Crossing because, like, Animal Crossing New Leaf was my first foray into the series. But it's not really the same because, like, listening back to Matt's episode today, like, and from what I can remember of what he said, at least I think what he said, like, for every minute that passes in the real world, it's an hour in Shenmue. Whereas with Animal Crossing, it's properly real time. Like, yeah, it's like the proper thing. So, you know, you if you if you miss out on that date with someone to go around their house, they're going to be pissed off with you because oh no, I was working because it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. Um, but then, yeah, like, I think it's a shame because that kind of, the proper day-night cycle like Animal Crossing has, it works really well in the, it's a game that they expect you to be playing when it's, you know, light hours. You're not going to be playing it when you should be sleeping. Hmm. Um, and I, I think it would have been really interesting to see that with Shenmue, except for the fact that sometimes you'd be going to meet people at certain times and it would be like maybe 2 a.m., and it'd be like, oh shit, I have to stay up late so I can meet this person in the bar in Shenmue. And that would be the weirdest thing in the world. But also kind of cool. Like, uh, one thing I liked with them, um, although it's not really a time restriction, it's a day restriction, uh, with Batman Arkham City, mm. they had the calendar man. Yeah. So you'd have to go back on certain dates. And I still regret um, not being in a house with my 360 at the time on Christmas Day, so I couldn't meet him on Christmas Day. Uh, but I know people that did, and I was like, oh. But, like, that that was, I mean, that, you could say, is, like, a similar thing where it's, it's constraining you to a certain kind of period of time, and you have to do it. And I think it would definitely be interesting to see Shenmue like that, with that kind of proper Animal Crossing day-night cycle. Mm. I'm, I'm kind of thinking that... I of a triple A game that could really use that Animal Crossing day night cycle and be just like hmm that'd be really interesting I'd love to see a triple A game use that really would um, the other big thing of Shenmue in terms of gameplay analysis was it, it was basically the invention of quick time events like you can't move without having QTEs in games now and I'd say David Cade is very thankful to Suzuki for basically inventing QTEs at this point. So we did actually have QTEs in a couple of games before. Um, like Shenmue was the first like really big game with them. Mm. Uh, so you could say uh, Dragon's Lair, which was uh, Don Bluth, I think. I think he was the animator. Um, it, was, it was the hardest game in the world. So it came out on the NES. And it came out on other things as well. They re-released it for, like, the DS and stuff like that as a digital title. Um, but you wouldn't realise you had to press anything. So it was like an invisible QTE almost. Mm. So you'd have to press something at a certain time, but you wouldn't know. Um, but Sega made a game. And actually, I'm wondering if you Suzuki worked on it. Well, I go to 
my page with you, Suzuki. Um, so there was a game. No, he didn't work on it. Um, there was a game called Road Avenger um, on the Mega CD where it was a racing game. What, a racing game, a driving game? I don't know. Um, and you'd have um, arrows pop up on the screen at certain points when you were driving around and you'd have to press it to move your car in a certain direction. Okay, yeah, it's not as um, as involving QTE-wise as Shenmue was, but it's still kind of QTE in a sense. Uh, but still, like, I, I, I do think of Shenmue as, like, the big QTE game in the... I mean, heck, they had... Um, I can't think what it was called. Uh, they, there was a game in the arcades which was a QTE game. Um, I'm, I'm sure this must say somewhere in it what it was called. Uh, it was basically, like, uh, you'd have... You'd literally just have a button pop up on the screen and you had to press it. And it was an arcade machine that you would be playing on uh, with it. And I, I found it the weirdest thing, but it was so addictive to play because you'd want to get a high score in it. Um, but then they also had a, like a, a fighting game in the arcades, which was also a similar kind of... Wow, this, so this guide doesn't mention this, but it has... So the, this strategy guide actually has all about every single character in the game that you can interact with and a paragraph of their story mm. and it tells you where they'll be so you can meet um, Goro Ono uh, at 8am outside his house 9.20 he'd be inside uh, inside Knocking Motorcycle Shop oh so it's called no- Knocking Motorcycle Shop so he'd be inside the bike shop at 9.20 at 10 o'clock he'd be beside it at 2 o'clock he'd be in front of it at 7 o'clock, he'd be beside it. At 9 o'clock, he'd be inside it. And at 9.40, he'd go home. It's always quite actually interesting when you look at strategy guides for games because you can usually tell when the person who wrote the strategy guide got a lot of information from the developers to help inform the guide because ultimately, you want to do that. You want to give the players as much information because they're paying for the additional information. But, wow. Um, but yeah, anyway, there was a, a QT game... I can't think of what it was called, but it was QT something or other. Literally just pressing the buttons. And it was almost like a trainer for the game. Mm. So you go to the arcade, I mean, heck, you could be playing Space Harrier, you could be playing Hang On, you could be playing anything in this arcade machine, but you could choose to play QT Master, Warrior, whatever it was, and hone in on your QT skills. So you could be amazing for when the cutscenes pop up and you have to quickly press the thing. Because then there was nothing more infuriating in Shenmue then screwing up a QTE right at the end of a cutscene, and you'd then have to go all the way back to the start and watch it through again and be like, oh, jeez, okay, up, X, A. But there was something about it that I didn't mind. I mean, yeah, like, if Shenmue hadn't done that and everyone hadn't seen Shenmue, what would games do these days for button mashing at, like, a QTE-style moment? Mm. They'd have gameplay, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no, like the QTE is like a really kind of reliable mechanic that developers can use to try and add something to a game, whether it's to try and add a bit of interaction to a moment that otherwise you'd just be sat there watching. Like, I think I think it was really clever that they added them in Shenmue where they did, because, you know, there's, there's so many games these days where if a cutscene starts playing, 
most people might just put down the controller. Some people might go make a cup of tea, because if they're not interested in the story, they don't give a crap. Whereas by having the QTEs, you're constantly engaged, and you're never stopping that engagement, because you need the controller in your hand in case that bloody button makes that noise that you hear. No, 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 no. Yeah, ingrains in your head, because you're like, oh, shit, there's a QTE coming. Oh, no, I need to press this. And I think, I think it was really clever that they put them in. They got a lot of stick for it. Mm. So many people take the piss out of it, but ultimately, it's a good way to get people involved in the in the story, even if the story is a little bit simple. <laughs> That's a simple concept. Yeah. Um, what about the fighting system in the game? That like, how did you find that? Because obviously, as a as Virtua Fighter, it's it's a two D fighting game. In Shenmue, it's a full three D fighting system. Like, yeah, go into that a little bit. See. So, I never really enjoyed the fighting system. I, it might, it may have been because of it being in a 3D world. Heck, imagine if it had like Arkham Asylum's combat system mm. in Shenmue these days. Like that would that would have the best of both worlds. But instead, of course, it was you know Virtua Fighter style um, counter system, and I don't know. Like it always felt clunky moving from from one. Like especially when you had like. I don't know, multiple sailors attacking you or something like that. Going from one enemy to another would be quite a clunky experience. Like, the thing I did think was clever, though, was how when you went to sleep every night, um, you could select for him to to train in a certain move. Um, So you could make him better at the move, uh, which would, I guess it would have a damage increase. I'm not really sure thinking about it now. Um, Or it would level up the skill, so you'd be even better, or maybe you'd have the chance of adding an extra button onto the combo to make it even more powerful. And, like, I think that was a really clever thing to add to the system because it then meant um, for those players that maybe didn't go to an empty car park in the evening to do some sparring, they could then level up their abilities by spending the day in Japan instead. Um, Yeah, like, although it was a a main component to the game... Like even like when I was playing it originally, and still when I when I play it again, uh, the fighting is just a bit weak. Um, which I suppose at the end of the day, in the, at the end of the day, it makes it good that they didn't make a Virtua Fighter RPG, because if they had done and they'd put the Virtua Fighter li- license on it, people might have been expecting a bit more from it, because the the fighting really did feel like secondary the whole kind of experience you didn't have to do it other than the moments where you had to do it um so this is a question that i've been thinking about ever since we've had shimmy discussions on the show before um so not just with matt Reynolds episode last year specifically on shimmy but going back to season one um we had i had on alan williamson uh who does five out of ten magazine and he had Shenmue 2 as one of his honourable mentions. Oh, yeah. Uh, and um, he, he said it, um, Shenmue as, or Shenmue 2, as one of the great, as one of the last great Sega games, or if not the last great Dreamcast Sega game. Shenmue 2 is probably more well-known, and um, Shenmue 2 is quite a personal game to me because I played it during the time of my parents' separation. And so I had a lot of, you know, it was a lot of, it was a lot of feelings going on when I finished that game. Um, but also because, yeah, it, it, it really was the last great Sega game. 
before they start manufacturing consoles. Um, and it, to me, Shenmue kind of represents the death of childhood. Wow. That, 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 that probably sounds a bit melodramatic. No, no. Like I was, you know, I was, I was 16 and it kind of felt like everything I knew was, was falling apart at the time. And then you had this incredible game with the, the biggest cliffhanger ever. Um, but Shenmue 2 is full of great bits. Is the the fantastic bit when you have to fight your way up like fifty floors of a building. It's just constant fights, just constantly kicking people's asses, and you finally get to fight Landy at the top of a skyscraper. It's just it's mind blowing, and the, the amount of detail they put into the world, and it's got really really great characters, and like it's just stuff full of like arcade machines and things. It's like, what are they thinking? That would never get approved today. No. Nobody like oh, you play as a Japanese teenager in in uh, in nineteen eighty six. And you get to walk around town and like get a job driving a forklift and uh you know, airing out books and you get to learn martial arts moves, people are like, Piss off, nobody's gonna buy this. This <laughs> is <laughs> how many million? Seventy million. It's still like the most expensive game ever made. He he said it um Shemu as or Shemu two as one of the great as one of the last great Sega games, or if not the last great Dreamcast Sega game, so and in tying that in with how you found Shenmue too, um, like, more, like, what do you think? Like, is Shenmue the last great Dreamcast or Sega game, or even Shenmue too? I'm trying to think of what some of the last Shen, uh, Shenmue, what some of the last Dreamcast titles were. I think, I think Shenmue two might have been my last. Like, I bought Shenmue two like brand new. Like, my copy of Shenmue 2 is the copy I bought when it came out. Because I pleaded my mum. I was like, I need this game. Please, please, please let me have it. Please. Um, and, like, and she nicely got it for me. And, like, I think of it as maybe the last title that I got. But then I, it almost, it almost rounded the Dreamcast off. As, like, this is the end of the Dreamcast. I'll enjoy this game. And, like, you, you could tell that it was potentially near the end in a way because you know they didn't they didn't give it english voices like the first game oh and then like you know childhood me was kind of like oh i wonder why they're speaking japanese oh why aren't they why didn't they make it the same as the first game why is this and then of course the dreamcast died and all the games that came out near the end became incredibly rare and you had trouble finding them but I mean, there, there were good game. There were other good games at the end of Dreamcast, um, and I'm sure, like, if I looked at a list, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that game's really good." But ultimately, I can't really um, think of anything else in my eyes that that is the the last good game on the console, other than Shenmue Two, because mm. it, it's such a great experience and. It just it just showed like especially with Shenmue Two even more what the Dreamcast could do um, because uh, Shenmue Two had such large environments you had outdoor environments not city environments you had like these like amazingly lush kind of green watery kind of um, rural environments and even just when like you went to Kowloon you had the the wall and stuff like that and it, it just looked stunning and. It kind of, it did really work as maybe a last great title on the Dreamcast because of that, because it was kind of like, this is what the Dreamcast can do. Here's, you know, our last amazingly pretty game. 
Excuse me. Although, of course, it wasn't the last game, but still, I think I think it was definitely a good end to the console. I would say. Um. So, in regards to Shenmue Two itself, then, like, yeah, like, how did you find that as a game? Like, moving on from Shenmue One, like coming in from Shenmue One. Um. I mean, there was such a big gap between the two games. Um. I can't recall if maybe I replayed Shenmue before I then played Shenmue 2. Um, but it was just, like as I was saying before, it was just so different and so varied in the environment. Like the game started on a low because it was literally, you came off the boat from Japan. You had people take like, a really loud space, some guy taking a photo of you and then asking for money for it. And Ryu kind of being like, no, no, I don't want this. And it felt like he was really uncomfortable in that environment and almost that you should feel uncomfortable too because it's alien for you just like it's alien for him because, you know, he's... Unlike in Shenmue where he was in this environment that he felt at home with, you didn't have that in Shenmue too. So it almost felt like the character was reflecting off yourself. Um, And I, I think they did a really good job with it. I think the only shame was that... Like, the end of it felt very rushed in that, like, you travelling to Guilin, or however you pronounce it, um, right at the end, and then Shenhua appearing, and you're doing a puzzle, and then that was kind of the end of it, and it was kind of like, oh, that's that's quite abrupt. I think I remember when I finished it, I was kind of like, oh, it's ended now. What now? And then, of course, you know, the sequel didn't come out, so it was kind of like, oh, I've been left on this kind of mysterious high almost but that's that's it that's all you get you don't get to see anymore and then I kind of then went into what went on the internet I was kind of like yeah Shenmue and the, like at the time and it still exists I think there's this website that's called Shenmue Dojo and they had like lots of information about everything and trying to explain about the characters and what you don't maybe realise and how many games there were supposed to be and I think it did a great job, but then it it felt like it was promising to then continue, and of course it just didn't. Mm. Mm. Um, we'll get on to that continuation in a second. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, at long last. But, um, yeah, um, jumping back to Jimmy Woman, like, what else do you like about it that we've not touched upon tonight? Mm. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. Like, that, that world for me is really just about the all those kind of mini-games that you can play. I don't know, I don't think there is anything that I haven't, I haven't really touched upon, I don't think. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm always just really surprised. And like, I mean, bloody hell now, like, flicking through this strategy guide, I'm just like, there was so much thought put into this game. Like, I wonder what they, how they even... Um, did it, like, if they had a tool set back then, or if they would have had to have done a lot of hard coding of things, like, what the scripting would have been like, potentially, I guess, uh, maybe, like, written scripting, just having all these kind of people living out, well, to a certain extent, living out their lives, so you can happen to come across them at a certain moment, just for maybe one conversation. Uh, I don't... I don't think there's anything that we haven't really touched upon. 
about it. Like, there is one thing we have not touched upon. I don't know if it's something, it's a thing you'd like, but I just realised we've not touched upon the passport system at all. Uh, see, I didn't really... Because the passport required online, didn't it? Or did it? Yes. I, can't. I think some, well, some of it did, because it had, like... I think it had, like, leaderboards and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so there's a bad passport to it. Or did, it did have passport. Um... I was looking through this not that long ago, and it had all about the passport. I know, like, like first time I kind of played it, I didn't really do anything with the passport, mainly because I was kind of, like, in that mentality, of course, because, you know, around the time of Shemu would have played, like, Final Fantasy VII, eight, maybe nine, maybe not nine by that stage. Um, and, you know, they're, like, three to four disc games. And you'd be used to, you know, disc one, disc one finished, disc two, disc three, disc four. Whereas, like, the fact that Shenmue had an optional disc was quite quite weird, I felt. As, like, a console gamer, anyway. Of course, like, with PC games, you could sometimes get optional discs. Um, okay, there you go. So you could listen to, yeah, Shenmue Online. So, like, I never had... I never had, um, kind of... Well, I didn't have the internet when I had a Dreamcast, I don't think. Or maybe I did. But either way, we didn't have the, the modem for the Dreamcast and didn't have uh, the subscription, I'm sure, that there was a subscription at one point. <coughs> so there were certain bits that I couldn't get to. So, like, you had urgent messages, which were apparently important messages from the Shenmue team. You had Shenmue World, which was information about Shenmue, where you could read about the characters, locations, and techniques in the game. You had Nozomi's messages, which would be information regarding to in-game features and events. And then you had network rankings, so like leaderboards. It's weird because it's like leaderboards on arcade machines, but online. Mm. Which is weird because, of course, that bridges the gap where, you know, of course, a leaderboard on an arcade machine is usually like a really kind of alone thing that, you know, that's why you had... uh, I think the website where they, you'd get all the accumulated high scores of all the people who play on arcade machines. Um, Twin Galaxies. Uh, and you'd have places like that that would aggregate this information. Whereas, like, by having this network ranking, it created that information in a an online space for you to look at. Um, but yeah, I, I never got to look at some of it because of it being online. Hmm. Which is, I, I think it's a shame these days. Because, um, I mean, of course, the service got shut down. I don't know if anyone has anything running so you can do stuff online with the Dreamcast. Because, of course, you know, one of the biggest online things or games in my eyes for the Dreamcast was Fantasy Star Online, mm. which I loved to death. But I didn't have the internet, so all I could do was just play it again and again on my own, which I guess is really lonely. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, oh, I'm a bloody hell. So... There was there was a bit in the passport called everyone's space, and you could cash in your cans and slot machine prizes, and you could trade it for hard to find collectibles within the game. Like that could have made things easier. But yeah, and now you could access Shenmue.com. Um, but yeah, I never 
that's that's one of the main reasons I never really speak about the passport, just because I couldn't. I mean, you could get some information from it, but for the online only stuff, downloads. Like this is there were downloads for it as well. Mm. Um, however, of course, like with the passport, you could look at because it would um it would load in your save game data uh, from the VMU. You could get information from that, so you could rewatch cutscenes. I don't think I ever did that. Um. I know you could do it, I think, on Shemu 2 on the Xbox. You could just do it natively within the game itself, if I remember right. And that was always quite interesting, but... I don't know, I never felt the need to re-watch any cutscenes from the game. Mm. Maybe because they had bad memories of QTEs or something like that. Um, but then it, I think I think one thing I might have used it for was that you could listen to the music of the game. Mm within the passport. So I, I have a feeling that I might have done that like sometimes and just put the Dreamcast on, put the passport in, played tracks from Shenmue and just done stuff in my bedroom, for example. Um, but yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a shame that, although I like the game so much, that it was a feature that I didn't really utilise. And I suppose you could compare it these days to like, I don't know, like the use of second screen apps games which of course kind of died out a little bit because um, I haven't picked it up but I hear that the division didn't actually have the second screen stuff that they showed off originally I think what? that I think that was canned just oh was it yeah it was yeah. canned about a year before the game came out or no sorry sorry a year and a half two years before the game came out so yeah it was canned a good while ago anyways yeah because I'd compare like the passport to that kind of out of the game information that like you'll find a lot of people generally don't look at a good example of this actually would be Watch Dogs because that has a really good second screen experience oh does it yeah like say, like people say what they will about Watch Dogs that's fair but there was a really good second screen experience um, with Watch Dogs where like if I can kick over my iPad like <laughs> like if I was if I if, if my friends were playing uh, Watch Dogs on PlayStation Four or Xbox One. Like this was pl- like this was basically more or less cross-platform. Um, like you could use this on any of your friends on what, regardless of whatever platform on new play f- from what I can remember. And like, it, like obviously the player would have to give you permission, but mm. I could go into their game on the iPad, not full seamless three D. Go in there, but like there'd be a map of Chicago, and. I could hinder them or help them if, oh, yeah. and whatnot. Like I could, like if I want to hinder them, like if they were in a cop chase or whatever, I could turn off the traffic lights or I could bring up a roadblock or whatever stuff like that. There, like I thought, Watch Dogs did the, the uh, second screen experience. Like say whatever people want about the game, that's fair. But I think Watch Dogs did a great second screen experience. <laughs> well, yeah, because like it, it was a, it was a really big thing you know, a few years back to add a second screen experience to that. And it's it's a kind of adding more to the game outside of the game so someone else can enjoy the game while someone else is playing. And not that you would do that with the passport when someone else is playing Shenmue, but I think of it as that kind of, you know, it's a bonus disc almost mm. where some people may put that bonus disc in their console. Some of them might not ever touch it. I suppose I'd liken it to that. And I feel bad that I'm kind of one of those people that didn't really touch it that much. But then if, you know, with half of the the, the um, 
the content not being available um i think it must have been that in my eyes i thought our passport all of that's online so i can't access that on my dreamcast sad um so what didn't you like about shimmy that we've not gone on to tonight what didn't i like um well i suppose i've kind of complained about well i've talked about the story in its simplistic manner um i suppose i've gone on about how the fighting in my eyes is quite weak the dialogue's a bit iffy you could, you could say the voice acting's a little bit iffy as well sometimes um where someone really doesn't sat well they really don't sound how they look um but then that adds the kind of comedy value to it hmm. but i i don't know like i'm sure heck if if i played it tonight i'd probably be getting annoyed with things i reckon um but i can't really think of anything i didn't like about it other than like frustrating QTEs or maybe like you know as I said before like a dodgy fight where something goes a bit wrong I do remember a mission where you're sneaking into a warehouse in Shenmue 2 not Shenmue 2 I think that I found a bit annoying but I think I just like the game so much I that's really bad though as like a designer I should be complaining about all the issues with the game but I think when I I have it in such high regard in my mind that I like the game and the experience other than the fact of you know, I suppose I have been critical throughout the the not great story the the experience that allows you to not give a crap about the story and just do whatever you want which feels then like they didn't care so much about the story and they just cared about the environment the fact that it with the time system and how that worked that you could spend half a day moving somewhere when there's no way that you could have gotten there quicker um the fact that it could also be really easy to i suppose that's an issue it could be really easy to miss like an appointment not that it would always be an appointment but like if you had to go somewhere at a certain time you could be not around a corner that you needed to be or you could be just outside of where you need to be or like you could think you had to be inside a building at the time but actually you had to be outside of the building for the event to occur which in a way is i suppose it's not really sloppy scripting as such but it's it's being very specific for if uh, a player doesn't realize the exact location they need to be in that an event doesn't occur and then the player's just like well i've i've been here for the whole day why didn't this thing happen so I suppose that that could be an issue that could have been addressed more easily. But then, like, these days, if you addressed it with, like, a like a more recent kind of game, it'd be that there'd be a big arrow pointing into the building or, you know, a sphere on the ground that you have to go towards. So maybe it comes in from the whole idea that they're not, they're not holding your hand because games back then didn't hold your hand. So, yeah, I guess that's... That's it. I think otherwise, I just, I really quite like the game, and I, I know about all the issues I have with it, but I kind of see past those, because I enjoy the experience of, of being in Japan. Shemu Japan Simulator. <laughs> um, as a designer, then, like, 
what would you change from a design perspective? See, I'd, I'd be tempted to... I'd say, like, remove the combat system. But that would completely change the game. Um, it's it's just basically a life simulator at that point. Well, yeah, then I would just be playing a simulator. But, you know, that's not always a bad thing. However, you know, I imagine, you know, the, the addition of the combat would have been, you know, from the, the Virtual Fighter background that Suzuki had. Um, and then also potentially a need to feel that they had to add more to the game to make people want to play it. Because, you know, with its simple story, you couldn't just get someone based off that. And I'm sure in Japan, if they were like, hey, you can play a game and it's like you're in Japan, they'd probably be like, well, why would we want to do that? We can do that if we go outside. Um, but yeah, I, I think maybe looking over the combat system, but then I, I always find it hard trying to think of how, how you can improve a game back that was developed you know, back in the 90s because I don't know what they would have had available to them or how easily they could change things or what kind of thoughts people have in their minds. Um, but ultimately, like, if it was like Shenmue nowadays... I would bring in examples of games that had really good combat systems. So, for example, like I said before, Batman Arkham Asylum. Uh, you could always bring in an Assassin's Creed to try and bring that in. Um, just any game that has a really nice, fluid combat system. Um, you could almost you could almost bring in something like God of War as well, because uh, the combat system is great in that. Um, and just kind of bring in all these games together. Look at the look at the key points that make those games good for what they're doing and see how you could incorporate that into Shenmue. Um, especially because, you know, the fighting system was a large portion of the game because if you weren't talking to someone, you might be fighting with someone. So an improvement on that, I think, would help, which, of course, if you were then revamping the game anyway, you'd probably be looking at stuff like that. Mm. So I think I think that would be the main thing I'd improve because, like, you know... You don't want to make the story overly complex anyway because the story's there to just bring you along on this this quest that, that Ryu has. And you can't change... Can't really change the dialogue. You don't want to change the voice acting because that's, that's just something that is a... Uh, like a... Like a mainstay? Yeah, it's, it's not something that would really change what people think of the game. Sure, it might change the the vibe that people have. So it might be a more seriously toned game than a more kind of, oh, this is really funny, haha, kind of thing. Um, but I think because the, the combat system is a, an integral part of the game, I would, I would look at improving that. And, and the best way to try and make a good system is to see what else is around and see how you can kind of incorporate the best bits of everything into something else. I usually ask about people's top three games in the series, but then there's only been two with a third coming, so there's not much point Shenmue. asking. Shenmue 2, and... Oh, what I could say is, so... I'm still wondering if I prefer Shenmue over Shenmue 2 or not. Then there's a good chance we need to do over this episode. But I'd say, like, Shenmue... Shenmue 2 English... So, like, the PAL version on the Dreamcast with the Japanese voice acting. Mm. And then Shenmue 2... Ooh, actually, no. Then Shenmue Japanese voice acting. There you go. Mm. 
<laughs> so uh, Shenmue makes it into the top three twice, and then Shenmue Two is only in there once. Good, good. That's a good way to put about it. <laughs> so I will ask this then, as the actual question then, um, like, what is Shenmue's legacy as silly as it is to say this? Because it, like it does have a massive legacy already, but like it's more than just what we know. Because obviously, as well as Shenmue, like. Born out of Shemu essentially is the Yakuza series, and not just Yakuza. There's other games that kind of have that Shemu aspect to it, like not 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 necessarily Asian culture stuff like that, there, but stuff like like Yakuza and Sleeping Dogs um, yeah. as well. So like, yeah, well, like what is it, Lexi? Well, I do like to think of almost Yakuza being the the game that spent more time on its combat system. Because, like, Yakuza's kind of... It feels like there's more to their combat system and that is the main focus of the game uh, alongside the story. Uh, and then, of course, it's really nice that they they then branched out. So they they kind of carried on Yakuza for a bit and then they did uh, Yakuza Kenzan, mm. which was the kind of... I don't know if it was Edo period, but either way, historical Japan. And, like, that was really interesting that they did that. They did that. It was a shame it didn't come out over here and only in Japan... Because, of course, you know, there's less of an audience for that kind of historical Japan. Um, but no, like, I do think of Shenmue as a major influence for Yakuza. I mean, you could tell it when the first Yakuza came out on the PS2. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, like Sleeping Dogs. I still haven't played Sleeping Dogs. Um, I have it. But I think... Was it Games with Gold at some point? Actually, maybe it wasn't. It was. It was, yeah, I can remember, yeah. Yeah, I think I've got it. Um... And, like, I think of it as that kind of game, and I'm like, you know, if Shenmue wasn't around, would this game exist? You could say the same with Yakuza. I'd like to try and think of something that's more Western and call it an influence, or having been influenced from Shenmue. Could you technically say Grand Theft Auto, at least since free, because, like... With one and two, it was top down, and Shenmue, the original Shenmue, came before three, and three was when it all kicked off. Yeah, you could actually. Yeah, you probably could say that somewhere down the line, Rockstar may have seen Shenmue. I mean, of course, yeah. Maybe, maybe it was they they saw it and they were like, "Oh, look, this is a a three D expansive world, and they've created this on a Dreamcast. Heck, we could do this on the PlayStation Two, and have something cool." I mean, of course, you could say that. GTA's roots are in different kind of areas and that they're vastly different from each other. But you could say, yeah, anything that has created a living world could be an influence from that. Like, heck, I'd say, well, I'm, I'm probably wrong in thinking it in my eyes, but like um, Nomad Soul, so by Quantic Dream. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bowie in it. Um, you could say almost, you could think that's influenced, but then I'm just thinking that from... Um, a virtual world aspect because of course there were virtual worlds before Shenmue hmm. but because Shenmue is my kind of my first virtual world um, Nomad Soul in my eyes felt kind of similar because it was okay yeah this this made up environment but you could interact with so many different things and jump in different ways and different people would be doing different tasks that it felt kind of closely linked to Shenmue and heck it had a weird combat system as well and a weird shooting section but either way, you could say that they're they're slightly linked there, anyway, at least. Um, 
But I'd like to think that Shenmue's had a big, a big impact on the industry. Like we were saying before with the, the quick time events. I mean, that's had a massive effect on games. And then I think just showing the kind of world that they could create on the Dreamcast and what they could simulate and that others could then realise that they had the potential to do the same as long as they used the console in the best way to demonstrate that. So I think it's definitely influenced a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who, in their minds, they'd like to thank Shenmue for kind of the way games have gone. So I think it's it's definitely left a legacy, whether it's elements that you may not realise at first. Um, I think it definitely has made a massive impact on the games industry. Mm. And it'd be interesting to see then what happens to Shenmue 3 and what impact that has. Um, and, and just to, like, we've made a few comparisons here tonight about Shenmue and Grand Theft Auto. Like, I, I think just seeing this quote here and Nokia has kind of summed it up. If the Grand Theft Auto games have been vilified as crime simulators in which you press in which you can press a button to buy a hooker, then run a hooker over with a car, Shamu's a game where you can press a button to politely ask directions, then combo into cherishing your elders and always remembering to recycle, instead of giving us a city to be tested and battered against in all directions. Shamu builds you a world and asks you to follow the rules rather than break them. That kind of sums it up. Yeah, I think that does. It is it is a game where you know, you're doing what you're told. Hmm. And yeah, GTA GTA is the opposite. But they they could be thought of as so similar in other aspects that I think that I think that very well sums it up. Hmm. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Okay, so if I'm talking Dreamcast era, I'm going to say Jet Set Radio. Like, I mentioned it briefly before. Jet Set Radio is such an amazing game. Like, I I did actually really enjoy Jet Set Radio Future as well. I know a lot of people bash Future for its simplicity that they added. um, And some people just didn't like the choices that they made, but... I really liked both games. I liked that you could see like a natural evolution between, well, with the characters between Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future, how like Gum had her distinct look in radio, which I felt was the better of the two. And then in Future, she looked completely different. So you could feel that you had the same characters in an environment, but the environment was different. The characters were different. So it felt like a natural evolution of the series, I suppose. Um, they both had amazing music. I have the soundtracks for both games um, because it's stunning. Uh, there's some tracks that you can't actually, well, that don't exist on the soundtrack, and I had to hunt them down to be able to get them, like some of which I had to buy like random Japanese albums to be able to get the songs. 
um, <coughs> um, or discover or other awesome songs of the Japanese musicians that made some of the songs. Um, but yeah, like Jetsu Radio, just the art style, the music, the gameplay. It's it's still like it's still so tough to play. Like the game is hardcore. Like if you don't if you don't get your head around the the way you need to react with the controls, um, you'll get to a certain stage of the game where that's it. You can't progress any further. However, with Future, which kind of to making it more simplistic, uh, I guess the game was made more accessible, um, and then it was a lot more of an easier experience in order to be able to finish the game. So I finished Future, whereas I haven't finished Jetsu Radio. Mm. I found Jetsu Radio tough. But I'll still go back to it, and I'll still try and get past the bits that I get stuck on. Mm. And I'll love the character design of the characters you play as, um, the characters that are like opposing gangs and stuff like that. I just, It's an amazing game, and I'm so happy that Sega did like a re-release of Xbox 360 and stuff like that. Like, when was that, like? Four years ago now, maybe more or less. Yeah, and like, it's just nice that I ha- I can access it on other platforms now. Um, also, just even just to hear the music, um, and then so I mentioned Link's Awakening. How many honorable mentions can I have? Is there a limit? Uh, well, not too many. Like I would say, let's say I'll give you I'll give you ten. Oh, ten! Uh, yeah, I've only got four um, so far. Uh, so Link's Awakening. Like I I find a lot of people like. A link to the past more, um, and Link's Awakening kind of it feels like a clone of a Link to the Past um, on the Game Boy, and so then it suffered with uh, potentially not looking as nice until they did the the deluxe version for the Game Boy Color, huh. which brought it to life basically. Um, but like I read the the most interesting article about it um, maybe last year now, and it was someone. Um, comparing Link's Awakening to Twin Peaks and saying how Link's Awakening is like a David Lynch game in the uh, by relating to Twin Peaks that the the characters that you meet in Link's Awakening are like doubles or doppelgangers of characters from uh, Zelda games or even Mario games Mm. Um, and that it's like this weird kind of alternate reality version of uh, Zelda, which it really is. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't played it, but you should play it through to the end so you find out actually what's going on in the game. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why I liked it, although it's also like what you could call a bit of a cop-out on its ending. Um, But, like, I like that. Like, that was the first... That was the first Zelda game I actually completed... Um, I finished that before I did Ocarina or A Link to the Past um, and Majora's Mask and everything like that. Um, so, like that's one of my favorite. That is my favorite Zelda game, really. Um, uh, I, I should mention up front. Like I asked um, when I asked um, Molly Carroll of um, Tucklefish and uh, about Majora's Mask and the similarities to uh, David Lynch because Molly's a big David Lynch and uh, Twin Peaks fan, and like I, I just thought. Majora's Mask reminds me of um, Twin Peaks a bit. Like I, I've I've only started watching Twin Peaks. Admittedly, I had the new season coming up, but it's interesting that you mentioned Link's Awakening being Twin Peaks, not Majora's Mask. Because I've I've, yeah. Yeah, I've always assu- I've always kind of commonly as- associated Majora's Mask with Twin Peaks now after that episode. Well, yeah, because as well as that, because Majora's Mask is like such 
a really batshit Zelda game. Like, just with all the characters in it as well. And, like, Majora's Mask is amazing. And, like, I'd never actually thought of Link's Awakening in that sense until I read this person's article. And I was just like, oh, my God, I hadn't thought about this. I hadn't thought about this. This is amazing. Why has no one made this comparison before? Um, so I thought it I thought it was really clever. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Link's Awakening. And I really like it when I found out, well, when I find out that other people really like it too. Or then when I find people that never played it because it was only on the Game Boy, I'm like, go go download that shit. You can get it on the DS, I think, um, through the digital stuff. So, digital stuff. I can't think of what they call it. Uh, they're backwards compatibility stuff, whatever they refer to it as. Um, so then, like, another game I mentioned earlier as well, World Ends With You. Amazing game. Once again, similar to Jet Set Radio, it has an amazing soundtrack. Like maybe one of my favourite soundtracks on the, like, DS games. Um, I think, actually, there's a lot of similarities, you could say, with that and Jets of Radio. Music, amazing character design. Um, I think that's... I'm trying to think of the guy who um, did the art on it. I think he... He did a lot of Square Enix stuff in the past. Tetsuya Nomura? Yeah, there you go. I was going to say Nomura, and I wasn't sure if that was him. I think it was him. Um... And yeah, it's got this amazing art style. It's set in like right inside Tokyo, so you've got that nice kind of like Japan feel to it. And then the the combat system works really weirdly at first because you have to get your head around it, but then it just makes sense and then utilizes like gestures with the the touch screen with using swipes or different motions. Um, it just really works. And that you you collect these badges from. Um, killing enemies or doing certain things and you can mix up your badges to to make yourself not unstoppable in combat but to like better yourself so it's it's almost like an armor weapon system that like a normal rpg would have instead these tiny little badges that have different effects on the on the attacks that you do or other types of things in battle um so world ends with you i think it's a great ds game i think it's kind of hard to come by these days um but I highly recommend it. Or just listen to the soundtrack, like on YouTube or something like that. Um, and then I'm trying to think if I've got anything else to add to my list. Um, but what? so next one I'm going to say is Kalimba. So uh, for anyone that don't know what Kalimba is, it was made by a company called Play Dead. Play Dead. I think it's Play Dead. As in Pl- Limbo Play Dead? No, not Play Dead. Damn, they're the other guys. Huh? Press Play. Press Play. <laughs> Uh, I've been talking about the two companies very recently uh, because, of course, Press Play got closed um, when Lionhead got closed. Mm. Um, and they're based in... Where are they based? They're based in Denmark, yeah. yeah Copenhagen. Yeah. yeah. And Play Dead are based in Denmark as well, I believe. So I was talking to someone about both companies recently because, uh, of course, I'm still waiting for Inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, come on, Inside, come out. I've been waiting for you since you announced it. Um, that and Below, was it Below? Below is Capybara. Yeah, I'm still waiting on that because, you know, they announced that years ago and I'm like, where is it? When's it coming out? Um, but yeah, Kalimba was a great game made by Pressplay. It was their last game that they made. Uh, they were making another game while while, while they just got shut down. Um, but yeah, Kalimba is like this crazy, what I'd say, like puzzle platformer where you're playing as these two little totem guys, like from a totem pole. Um and they're colour-coded, 
the levels are color coded and the puzzle is the environment and it's like this crazy almost what I'd say twitch puzzle game where you're moving through the environment as quickly as you can and dying as little as possible but it's very easy to die if you don't realize how you should be playing it so I know I think it got a little bit slated on how hard it was um, where a lot of the reviewers complained about the difficulty um, but the, the way I always explain it to people when I tell them how they should play it or that they should play it is that at no point when I was playing Kalimba I felt the game was at fault I always felt that I was the reason I was dying because my reactions weren't quick enough or I didn't realise what the puzzle was until I then realised what the puzzle was but the puzzles are so intuitive that it's just amazing and I highly recommend everyone should play Kalimba especially now that poor press player have um, closed down um, it's on like Xbox One and on Steam um, I suppose I didn't really say no I did say what the other games were on um, yeah I highly recommend Kalimba because it's got a lovely soundtrack which some people might say is annoying uh, like my partner but I think it's a great soundtrack um, and the game is just stunning uh, like what I was really disappointed about the other day because um, they released some DLC for it uh, which was free for a certain period and I thought once it was announced that they were closing down, I was like, oh, I should play that DLC that I hadn't played. I was so saddened by how little people had played the DLC and the fact that only one person on my friends list had played the game. And he'd only gotten to the fourth level, I think, or the fifth level, because he'd gotten frustrated with a boss. So that's the bad point about Kalimba, which is their boss fights are really... They really let the game down um, because they're not... Well, they're not as well executed as the rest of the game is. Hmm. But, like, Kalimba has a lovely art style, and everyone should look at it and bask in how amazing their puzzle design is. Hmm. So I highly recommend Kalimba. If I'm even saying it right, Kalimba? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I really like that. I'm trying to think now if there's other stuff. Like, there's so many games that I love and that I've loved playing and would happily, like, play through again. Um, like I should stress 10 is the upper limit so like if you have any less than that or whatever it's fine for 10 yeah, is the upper limit I'm, just, I'm trying to look at what I have I feel bad like not saying things although one, one game I quite liked I liked Catherine ah. I was biased when I say I like a game called Catherine when my name is Catherine and sometimes people think I'm joking because I say there's a game called Catherine um, but that that cool games that and I loved the fact that they, the developers apologised that the game was too hard because they playtested it so much with themselves that that was the reason the game was difficult. And it, it was difficult, but it was also, I suppose, a little bit batshit crazy. That <laughs> um, you've got, you know, sexy Catherine with a C and your girlfriend Catherine with the K. And I love the fact that they used the, the different ways to spell Catherine to play on the different characters. I thought that was like a clever thing to do. Um, but that, that was an interesting game because only if you... You had to learn how to play it, but you had to teach yourself the tricks to make yourself better at playing it. Hmm. Which I, I really liked. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, there's this tons of games. 
I know after this podcast, I will, or recording this, I'll be like, I should have said this game. Like I was saying earlier, I think of all these games and be like, oh, I said that. It's like games that I play nowadays and games that I've played in the past. But yeah, there's there's so many good games out there and I, I wish that when people went to choose the games that they play, they wouldn't just go off a review because so many people dismiss games that maybe don't even get reviewed or may have a few bad reviews and because maybe it doesn't have, I don't know, an 80 Metacritic or something like that, they won't buy it. And I think it's a shame because, like... <coughs> sorry, like, the um, the way to, like, understand games better... That sounds like a really badly worded sentence. is to, to play games that are bad as well. Because then you can realise why a game is bad. Although, of course, you've usually also got the ex- the other circumstances, like from a game's development, you don't know what happened or why something might be in a bad place. But you can kind of think about that and try and gauge the reasons for that. Um, I just wish that people would give more games a chance because sometimes they just they just won't. But then also sometimes it's just because those games aren't available for people to play. Mm. Which which kind of ties back into Shenmue and me not being able to have Dreamcast. Yeah, and like limitations like that. I mean, especially if someone found out about a really cool game like that hasn't been re-released on a platform. Because like for example, Chrono Trigger, before it got re-released on the DS, if you wanted to find that on the SNES, you'd have to pay like close to a hundred pounds to get a copy of it, and then you have to buy a SNES as well to be able to play it. And, like, I don't even know how much Shenmue goes for these days. And then you have to buy a Dreamcast. But you have to make sure you buy a Dreamcast that the laser hasn't died on. Because, of course, with an old-style system, the laser could easily die, but you can get that replaced or replace it yourself. And it's just these... It, it makes gaming um, a hobby that has a high a high level of investment in order to be able to, to get into it. I, I can't remember why I was talking to someone about this the other day, but oh, I think it's because people were complaining about the price of games, I think on Twitter or something like that. Mm. Oh, I th- actually, no, it was um, some guy had posted about other things you could get for the, the price of his game on Amazon or something like that, and he referenced like a Nickelback poster. What? Yeah, and that you could get like this list of things, or you could buy their game. And people were complaining that their game was too expensive. And, like, I was thinking about it, and it's like, well, if you want to play a game on a PS4, you have to buy, you know, a potentially, what, £250 console in order to play a game on it. So that's a high level of investment that you need in order to be able to play games. And not everyone can afford that. So then it means someone may not play Amazing Game X because they can't afford to pick up that console and buy it for just one game. Hmm. Which... What's a shame at the end of the day? But then I guess that's that's how expensive the hardware is. Hmm. And you can't really change that. Hmm. But basically some of the how it went with you and how you got your PS4 just for Rapture. Yeah. Um, and like the reason I bought it at the time was I bought it two Black Fridays ago. So not last year, the year before. Hmm. And I know Game had a deal that had Lily Planet 3 with it. Hmm. 
and Drive Club, but they'd sold out a Drive Club, so instead of Drive Club, I got... Oh, no, it was it came with Last of Us Remastered, which, of course, is a good game to have, because I played Last of Us on PS3, and I wanted to play it. I thought, oh, I could get it for free on PS4. Uh, and it should have come with Drive Club, but they were sold out of Drive Club, so I got Little Big Planet 3 instead, which I was very happy with, because I was like, yeah, I want to play Little Big Planet 3. I love Little Big Planet, so... And, yeah, and then I had to wait, I don't know, a year... Nearly, nearly a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six, seven, seven-ish months maybe for Rapture to come out, which was fine because there were still lots of other things. I had a PlayStation Plus subscription, so I had lots of games I could get for free on it. But like in the past, I have bought consoles for specific things. I mean, well, looking at my Wii U, I bought that because I got a lovely uh, Wind Waker edition. So the gamepad has nice detailing on it. Mm. Yeah, I've bought consoles in the past for games. And there's always like, oh, I hope I can find other things to justify my purchase. Well, I just remembered, I, I, I did this myself, actually. For I mentioned the DS at the oh, top yeah. of the show, but I've just remembered something else as well. I bought a Wii for Smash Bros. Brawl. There you go. So, there we go. Like, with, I, I, I was, like... I got in the melee because a friend like there was this kind of local gaming tournament that used to take place here and I was introduced to a friend uh, by a friend uh, uh, an old school friend that played um, melee the GameCube game and, oh yeah and I was just like oh my god this is so good this is so good so <laughs> I just figured right I'm going to do everything in my power to get a Wii with Brawl and I did and months down the line after I got my Wii I think it was around March 2008 I got my Wii I got Brawl the first day it came out, and I enjoyed it for a period, but it was just like after a few days, it was like, eh, because it was it was it was more the fact that I was playing it by myself. There was not much point in playing. Oh uh, yeah, you want to play that with like you know maximum number of people possible mm. to get the the best enjoyment out of Smash Brothers. Yeah, because like yes, yeah, I game you should play certain single player. Like I have Smash here for you. And it's like I've not I've barely touched it. <laughs> like and, and and I say this with online. Being a lot more accessible on Wii U than it would have been on the Wii, because like at least oh yeah, uh, it's the network stuff. Yeah, and the friend codes and all out there. It was just like fuck off. Oh, horror times, horrid, horrid, horrid times. Um, but yeah, um, to kind of get back into it. Um, so if I forced you on the spot top three games ever what would they be shame me at the top obviously but what would they be like you can't see this but Catherine's eyes just completely widened at that question I hate when people ask me that because then I always have to think usually it's just what's your top game I'll be like oh Shenmue easy Shenmue <laughs> and then sometimes they'll be like oh do you have any others and then sometimes I'll mention Jet Set Radio but oh that's really top three See, I'm trying to look at my games to see if I can think of anything that pops out. Ooh. Mm, maybe not, I don't know. Because, like, so, like, how how I have my games on my bookcase and stuff like that, I'll, I'll keep boxes of games I care about, and then, like, the games that I enjoy but don't want them on my shelf, they kind of live... I've got the discs living in a flight case that's, like, absolutely massive. Um, because maybe I don't need the boxes on display, but for games I care about, yeah, they're up there. Or if they're, like, newer games. But three games... I don't know if I can commit to um, a top three. (laughs) 
it's really hard because um, I've got games I like and that I enjoy, but it's hard to then be able to put like an all time to them other than Shenmue because like there's so many games out there. I'd potentially put um, We Love Katamari in there I think We Love but then so I like Katamari Damacy I really like We Love and then although it wasn't by Kata I like Beautiful Katamari as well Yeah. because Beautiful Katamari felt like it was trying to simulate what We Love did but on the Xbox 360 and I can't really put a series in my top three <laughs> I'll just say Katamari Games. <laughs> um, oh, it's really... And and I'd, I'd be tempted to, although I shouldn't, I'd be tempted to put Alien in my top three as well. <laughs> Which is really bad, but I've, I've played it like um, three times since it came out. And like, I'm sure you must know from talking to developers that usually people won't touch their game once it's come out. They'll leave it for like a period. And then once they feel that they've had enough time away from the game, they'll go back and play it. Mm. But then they'll still in their mind, they'll be playing it and they'll be like, oh, there's a bug here. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, no, I can't look at this. Or or things like that. But like, I mean, heck, I happily watched multiple people play through Alien Isolation on Twitch. And then I've I've happily played it through multiple times as well. And I could play it through again more. But then, I don't know if that's more like a, I spent three and a half years of my life on this game. I feel I have a commitment to it, which maybe I do. I'd be tempted to put a Remedy game in there, whether it be Max Payne or, or Alan Wake. Max Payne, because it was, it was groundbreaking in my eyes for its time. Um, and I just loved their... The way they um, communicate the story through the graphic novel kind of look, um, but then also I like Alan Wake because of the the way you play the game with the mechanics, with the torchlight to break down the shield of the enemies and then the gun to to kill them. Um, and Alan Wake, I love, like I really like the atmosphere on it. Add that and the DLC, DLC of Alan Wake is amazing. Oh, I could just start listing games all day though. And <laughs> all I right. You were top, a top three. If I had to, like, let, let's let's try and run it down. If I had to guess top three, let's say, Shemu, obviously, mm. Jet Set Radio, and We Love Katamari. Whether it be in that order or you swap around Katamari and Jet Set, that would be a top three right there. I'd say it could be a top three. It'd probably change. I like I like to think that like. A person's kind of top games just automatically change throughout the year because maybe a new game will come out and that game will jump into their top. Like, heck, I'd be tempted to put um, Wolfenstein New Order in there because hmm. I loved I loved that game. The final boss fight was a little bit iffy, but otherwise I thought it was a great experience, a great narrative experience. Although, of course, a lot of the narrative was driven through cutscenes, 
which is what the industry wants to get away from. But then we did that in Alien Isolation with a lot of our narratives. So, but I love Alien Isolation. <laughs> and I love Sunset Overdrive. Oh, I'm just looking at my games, which are like on this bookcase here. And I'm just like seeing a game. And I'm like, oh, I really like that. I really like that game too. It's really hard. I Do you have a top three? I'll save my top three for my episode, which will come oh, at some okay. point. But I've I've already mentioned The Last of Us is my favorite game, and I've already mentioned oh, Metal Ge- I've already mentioned Metal Gear Solid Three is the one behind that. Although the two games have a bit of a personal resemblance for me, but I'll leave that for my episode, which will come at some point. I don't know <laughs> when, but it'll come. So let's let's just say, let's just say for the for the instance of this episode, because it's been mentioned quite a few times, Shemu, Katamari. Jet Set Radio, in that not necessarily in that order, with the exception yeah, of Shemu at the top. Yeah, they're like a top three, I'd say. It's weird though because you look at that and it's like, oh, so you like weird Japanese games then? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, wow. Although that that might define what I like. What I like is you know a massive range of things. So yeah, I think it's fine. Hmm. But um, yeah, like Last of Us. I just wanted to put a point in there quickly that um, I was so relieved in my eyes and like myself uh, when I played Last of Us for the first time um, I played it at like a uh, game used to do these things where you could play like a demo early and stuff like that mm. like in their stores and they did one for The Last of Us and I went down to play it and I was so relieved when I got like instant killed by a clicker because I was like hey if Last of Us can do this maybe people won't mind if they get killed by an alien <laughs> so quickly like in my mind because I was kind of like I had this kind of idea because I was like maybe people will find it hard like Alien which it is but I was always kind of like hey Last of Us can do this we can do this too because you know Last of Us can do it which is you know that's a really high bar so if they can do that we can do it too yeah I I really like Last of Us so (laughs) I think Naughty Dog just gave me free reign to do that with Alien Isolation just like yep the chains are off. <laughs> well, yeah, and it was good because when oh, Last of Us came out a couple of years. 2013 it did. Was that in the autumn? Uh, summer. Oh, in summer. Please. June, June 2013. It came out the week of E3, actually, that year. Oh, yeah. I remember that because was I, I was at E3 that year and I had to buy it. I think I bought it the day I got back or something like that. Oh, I'd pre-ordered it and I was worried that my Ellie edition, I wouldn't be able to get it uh, or they'd sell it on because it would have been more than 48 hours maybe um, but yeah I suppose that was like what at least if that came out in summer like half a year before we even announced so I was happy by that <laughs> at least like in my mind because I, you can kind of like if you're working on a game for so long, sometimes you can get worried that, similar to the whole kind of Catherine developers apologising for it being hard thing, you can sometimes worry that people might find things hard. Mm. Which ultimately, you know, Alien is a hard game, and that's kind of what we were going for. But yeah. not insane, Catherine hard. No, not insane, Catherine. <laughs> oh, I love Catherine. I never thought that was going to come out in the UK, ever. I mm. bought it Japanese, and then they released it in America, mm. and they did a collector's edition, so I bought that. 
and then they announced they were bringing it out over here so I bought the Clef's edition they released when they did it over here as well so I've got like three copies of Catherine <laughs> Shenmue 3, like, Suzuki has mentioned in the past, like, he, like, it's, it's obvious that he wants to make this game, but, like, Sega is more or less not interested in making it unless a first-party platformer in terms of Sony and Microsoft plumb up the cash to, you know, say, alright, we'll do it, as long as you're paying for it. It's basically the Bayonetta 2 situation, which Nintendo stumped up for money for Bayonetta 2. Yeah, I, I think I think that's probably how it's gonna gonna happen. I've been I've been kind of like when I go to like E3 press conferences, I've been kind of like very interested to kind of because you sometimes get like on Twitter like some like teasers and stuff like that, like some rumors and stuff going around, and like I don't know, you get the sense that this that sort of thing could happen. That someone is just silly enough to be like, right, Shenmue 3 needs to happen. Um, but it's 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 weird. It's such a niche game. Like I know it's like a big, it's a big thing people joke about, and it's uh, it's kind of like this, you know, this 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 thing that people want to see a sequel from. But not many people, I think, like relatively, have like played it just because again, it's like a Dreamcast only game, and it's like, it's quite hard to get hold of these days. Suzuki did mention last, I think it was last year. Uh, yes, it was last year um, that he might look into possibly kickstarting the game. So like, would. Would that be possible? Like, obviously, like, like you said, Sega, he would have to go to Sega for permission first, but assuming that everything checks out, like, like, do you think a Kickstarter would be good for Shenmue 3? Or I, I don't know. Again, because it's, like, it's, it's, it's one of those games where people, it's got such a dedicated fan base, but it might such, be such a vocal minority that would it be enough? Like, is there enough people that really care about Shenmue to actually bring it back? Um I don't. I don't know. Like crowdfunding could be an option, but I just don't know if it's got the support. Now, how our fans engage in the future of gaming continues to astound us. Devoted Four fans have games. funded some amazing games for PS4 via Kickstarter. Octodad, oh, Amplitude, to name a few. Ben. Now, recently, the developer told us that they're bringing back a fan favorite Kickstarter for PC and PS4. Now, this is very much their project. But we wanted to celebrate their announcement on our stage, since this is a game that PlayStation fans have been very, very, very vocal about. Oh, is this what I think it could be? Shenmue time. Wow. Oh! <laughs> 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 oh my god! They genuinely did it! <laughs> oh 
my god! Thanos! Last Guardian! Final Fantasy VII Remake and Shenmue! And we're not even halfway through. So what the hell are they going to finish with? Oh my god, they have footage! Shenmue 3 will be the story you have waited for, but this Kickstarter will be real success. <laughs> to make it the full-on Shenmue experience you have dreams of. Oh. The fate of Shenmue is in your hands now. <laughs> oh my god! They did it! Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Yu Suzuki. Oh shit! Stage. All right, are we ready to get it started? Okay, let's count down. Let's count it down, guys. Five. Okay. Four, the Kickstarter's live now. Three, oh, that two. is adorable. <laughs> oh, that is gift material. That is gift very, material. Very yeah, exciting. that's gonna be. I hope we can get <laughs> for the, all the fans. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> This is unreal. I am dreaming right now. The Last Guardian, Final Fantasy VII, and Shenmue 3. I genuinely can't believe it. So it's been a pretty busy night so far. The same press the conference. The Last Guardian showed that. Final Fantasy VII Remake, we're good there. Yeah. Shenmue 3 Kickstarter. So yeah. We've been dancing around the totem pole around this little thing for past what for the past while, but yeah, Shenmue Free. Like, it's weird. Like now that I'm talking about Shenmue again, a year on since the first time, and how with Matt Reynolds, like, I was discussing with him, like, hmm, what if Shenmue Free did actually happen? Like, what if it's basically this scenario? Of what if? And here we are a year later, as if to say. Shemu free, it's actually fucking happening. Yeah, which is it's really strange because I found it funny because when I was listening to your one with Matt, I think Shemu three had been announced. No, it was, was, it was actually before E three that year, it was last year. So no, no, because no, I I listened to it late. Oh, right, right, right. I came across uh, my favorite game. Um, I can't remember which one I listened to first. Actually, I was listening to your one with um, was it Robin? Haneke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Katamari. Mm. Uh, I was listening to that. Um, not Last Living Diary, the one before. So I was doing a 48-hour game jam. And I was like, I need to listen to something. So I listened to that. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I'll keep listening to these. And so I kept going through a few. And then I found the Shenmue one. I was like, oh, cool. You know, I love Shenmue. I'll see what Matt thought about Shenmue as well. Because, like, I've met Matt before. Um, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And I was like, oh, Shenmue 3 hadn't been announced, and they're talking about it as if, oh, this, will this ever happen kind of thing? And it's like, well, it has, and who knows what's going to happen with it? <laughs> like, like, what are your, like, when you when you first heard that Shenmue, when you first saw Shenmue 3 was announced, like, what was that kind of first reaction? Because, like, I remember just sitting here, like, where I am right now, just with, it was basically, like, I was watching the press conference, and it was Skype, and it was me and two other people, one of them being Jem Alexander, um, of Riot Games, Ben Jones, who's 
the producer in the industry. And, like, like this was the night where dreams were being made at that Sony presser. Last Guardian first. Then the Final Fantasy VII remake. I was just like, Sony wins. Sony wins. Like, I, like it was just that. And then, like, I remember immediately... Adam Boyce just like talking about Kickstarter, like, hmm, like, okay, Kickstarter, oh, 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 because I, it dawned on me immediately, this has to be Shenmue, because not only what it transpired minutes with Guardian and the Seven remake, but also before, the day before the press conference, Suzuki tweeted out a picture of a forklift, and I just thought, <laughs> at that point, with those two games announced, and with Suzuki tweeting pictures of forklifts, not to mention that the fact that he mentioned he'd wanted to do a Kickstarter for semi free as I felt the stars were aligning at that point. And <laughs> even though I've not played Shemu, like I remember after that flash screen, after fifteen years, Shemu's story has remained unfinished or something like that. And I just remember after seeing that flash screen, I just go like Ah just screaming <laughs> out. It's not as if to say, Oh my god, Shemu Free is real, it's just like Oh my god, they actually announced all three of these games back to back to back for us. I was just like, Jesus Christ. It was unreal. Like, what was that like for you? I don't think I stayed up to watch. Or did I? Because it was at E3, right? Mm. Yeah, the, the Sony conference would always be the last conference of the day, of course. Because mm. it would be Microsoft... It's Microsoft, EA, Ubisoft, EA, yeah. no, Ubisoft, EA. No, it's Microsoft, EA, Ubisoft, EA, Ubisoft and Sony. Sony. Um, and I was just like, I woke up in the morning and I think I'd seen like a few people on my Facebook or something like that mentioning Shenmue. I was like, what are people talking about? And I looked at that, I was like, oh my God. And I was like, oh wow, there's a Kickstarter here. Wow, okay, I can back this. What the hell do I back? And like, because in the past when I've done Kickstarters, like sometimes I've, I backed it a lot more than I probably should have, like, money-wise. And then with others, I've tried, like, especially recently, because I did back a lot of Kickstarters. I was kind of, like, more hesitant in putting lots of money in. I was like, shit, what do I go with? You know, I love this game. And then, like, Charlotte was backing it as well. And we were just like, which one do we go with? Like, should we go with different ones? Or should we, like, pull together and go with, like, a higher-up one or something? Um, And I just thought it was crazy, because I never thought, that would happen like i wouldn't have thought it would happen with kickstarter like and i mean because i never really knew if sega still had the ip or if suzuki had it um or if it was floating around in some kind of weird ever and um yeah it's like wow kickstarter all the things and then of course sony saying that they'd they'd help back it as well didn't they mm, yeah in terms of promotion analysts. I don't know if they said uh, yeah. the development. They said they'd help it out somehow I think. Mm, yeah. And I was like that's amazing. What? What? When will that come out? And then it's kind of like looking at Kickstarter and being like well, what does all this stuff mean? Because like I, I was opening it up to try and find it. Let me look at the page. Um, I think the thing that worried me was like their wording of their their stretch goals. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, what does it mean? What kind of game does this mean they're going to make? I mean, heck, they made they made six million, which of course is quite a small amount if you compare it to like Broken Age. Yeah. Um, and like they had a, an interesting amount of rewards 
it was kind of hard to know how they'd they'd achieve those because when they well it was kind of hard to know who would really be making it because of course you know they're not a part of Sega mm. um, and where is it I'm trying to find the the wording of it Sega stretch goal so it was kind of like which is the earliest of oh, those ones so you know like some of them are you know easy enough so Shemu wanted to cinema shorts so I guess that's just cutscenes from the the first two games uh, a game in German French Spanish well I guess I mean yeah subtitles uh, German Spanish, uh, Spanish Italian and then it was like skill tree system I was kind of like does that mean the fighting system does that mean they weren't going to include that and then like uh, Vaisha Village expanded mini games times five Vaisha Village expanded infiltration mission additional quest battle event character perspective system and I was kind of like well so adding mini games were they going to create this village without mini games did they only add get mini games because there was a stretch goal for it uh, they added an additional quest does that mean there was just like a main kind of story quest in there and like battle event was, was there no fighting in there it was it's really hard to like gauge what they're going to do with it and that's my main concern because I'm kind of like if they if they don't make it have the world in such an interactable sense that Shenmue had will it be able to be the same game mm. or will it not I mean of course the the other difference is, is the fact that because you finished um, Shenmue 2 in a, a rural countryside kind of location Shenmue 3 is of course going to start in that kind of location so does that mean you wouldn't get anything like the first two games anyway because you're in this countryside and there's no convenience stores for you to go to or no forklift trucks for you to race or no boxes for you to carry you know what kind of experience is it going to be and unfortunately there's like no information to what it's going to be like until they give us some kind of trailer or something i guess mm. i suppose that's my kind of it's my concern i mean i backed it and i happily put money towards it and you know i'll see whatever they make and i'll pay whatever they make but ultimately i don't know if it will if it will feel like it's trying to be shenmue one and two or if it will feel like it's naturally trying to progress the story and the experience of shenmue that we were about to have because of course it's great that yu suzuki's on board because he had the original direction and vision in his mind for when he was making the whole game well the whole series of games so hopefully it will go the way he was wanting it to go but then you could question the so you know did Shenmue 3 not happen before because the Dreamcast died or was it because no one wanted to make Shenmue 3 hmm. the weird interesting concept um well, so, I, like, I was just going to add, like, I mean, with that said, I hope that, you know, like, Shenmue 3 wasn't made because, you know, it'd be another really expensive project and they couldn't afford it. And now Suzuki can afford that and he'll make an amazing game and I'll love it. Hmm. I hope. Whenever it comes out. I'm not even sure when the, the Kickstarter date was set for. December 2017, from what I remember, right? Really? So, 
Jeez, that's ages ago. That's always how it is with Kickstarter games, I find. Like, I forget about them, and then they're out one day. Yeah, December 2017. So I guess we'll see what happens in uh, a year and... A half, basically. <laughs> Well, you can follow me on Twitter, and I'm Catmoo, so C-A-T-M-O-O. So I think if you have a cat and a cow, and the cat tells the cow to go moo. Although, actually, someone pointed out the other day that my nickname could be Catwoo, because of Wooly. And I, I thought he'd call me Catmoo, and I was like, oh, did you just call me Catmoo? That's kind of cute. And he was like, no, cat, Catwoo. So, like, oh, that's cool. Um, otherwise, I don't really know... Um, what else I should really promote? I mean, of course, you know, keep an eye on news for Halo Wars 2. Uh, we're busy working away on that. Um, but I suppose you do have developers listen to this as well. So I'm, I'm just going to say, like, no matter what job you're doing, everyone should do game jams. Because it's a great challenge for yourself. And then you can make something weird and wacky as well if you don't get to do that in your day job. Um, and otherwise yeah that's kind of it if you haven't played Shenmue maybe look forward to Shenmue 3 when it comes out Um, or try and find a Dreamcast and pick up a copy or of course if you've got an original Xbox you could pick up Shenmue 2 and then it came with a like a disc with all the cutscenes from Shenmue and you can watch those and then play Shenmue 2 but then you'll have the bad voice acting well, they're not as good voice acting, so... I don't know if I really want to recommend that. But yeah, I suppose just follow me on Twitter. That's my main kind of thing. Hmm. And just to follow on top of that, Shemmy remark, if you want to, if you want to get hyped more for Halo Wars 2, play Halo Wars on BC, on yeah. Xbox One. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's in the... Is it in the preview? It's it's in preview now, yeah. Yeah, it's in preview now. Um, or you can pick it up on Xbox 360. It's a cool game. Like, loads of people still play it. It's amazing. If you go on the Halo Wars website, you can see how many matches are 
I'm not sure if it's ongoing or have been going on in the last week, and it's it's just crazy because so many people still play Halo Wars. It just shows that it's got a big fan base there still. <laughs> you don't you don't get that many games where, you know, it came out. Heck, did it come out two thousand eight? Nine, I think it was. Two thousand nine. Um, you don't get that many games where people are still playing it. Mm. Uh... So it's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, I suppose keep. Um, we've released like a teaser trailer that was from when we announced at Gamescom, which is really cool. Uh, you should, it, like the it was crazy because we we all kind of like like the team sat down to watch the Microsoft press conference because we all knew it was being announced, and like it got to near the end of the press conference, and we were like, "Where is it? Where's our game?" And then like they ended on us, didn't they? Which mm. we were just like, "That's amazing!" And like the round of applause when the CA logo came up on the screen was awesome because we were all like hey that's our game yay clap 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 so yeah that was really cool and it's, it's a cool trailer as well I think it's awesome <laughs> Thanks for listening to My Favourite Game Season 4. It's worth noting that since the recording of this two-part finale, Catherine Woolley has since left Creative Assembly to join the Chinese Room. My thanks to her and the nine other guests this past season who have come on to talk about their favourite game. Chris Avalon on Wasteland, 
Nina Freeman on Final Fantasy X 2, David Goldfarb on Diablo 2, Kelly Santiago on Fahrenheit, Dan Teasdale on World Games, Alexa Ray Korea on Kingdom Hearts, Birth by Sleep, Dan Pinchback on Stalker, Shadow Chernobyl, Alex Neonaki on Bloodborne, Jordan Thomas on Fantasy Grounds slash Dungeons and Dragons, and Catherine Wally on Shenmue. My favourite game will return soon. Until then, stay tuned for news by following at MFG Podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at Johnny Cullen and liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfavoritegamepod. Until then, thanks again for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye.